The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Well, here we go again, about halfway through July, and lawmakers have yet to produce a fiscal 2020 budget for the coming year. We're staring down toward the end of the month, toward the end of our temporary budget that's meant to patch the gap between the end of the last fiscal year and whatever agreement uh, budget conferees come to in the coming days or weeks. And we're also staring down into the start of August, which is traditionally the summer vacation month up here on Beacon Hill. But joining us to uh, talk about all that happened and didn't happen this week are Colin Young, Katie Lannon, and Chris Lasinski of the State House News Service. Hi, folks. Howdy. Hey, Sam. Good to be back after our uh, off week for the holiday. Yeah, I hope you all had a happy 4th of July. There's been a lot of talk this week about the budget negotiations, uh, but to us on the outside of that conference room, um, it's unclear to tell exactly how meaningful it is. Folks say there's progress moving forward, we're working, we're pretty close, uh, but us outsiders, that includes almost all of Beacon Hill, because there's only six lawmakers inside the room and their staffs, and uh, uh, what do we think is really going on here, folks? Well, um, as far as we know, they are negotiating a budget still. Uh, we don't know really at this point what they're negotiating, what what the the sticking point, what the holdup, what the outstanding issue is. I think I might have said that same thing two weeks ago, but we or are this time last year. Right, exactly. Um, and you know, this time last year. The, we were also waiting for the budget, and this is the, the day, July 12th last year, is when uh, House Minority Leader Brad Jones began his uh, what's now his tradition of daily late budget tweets, um, and he's continued that this year. He started right on July 1 at the start of the fiscal year. But other than those tweets, you know, we don't really hear uh, a lot of criticism a lot of complaints from from within beacon hill from within the legislature you know the governor said last week that it's you know as long as it's more about getting it right than getting it by a a certain date we have a an interim budget in place until the end of july and uh we're just gonna let that keep on ticking closer i guess there does seem to be sort of a complacency even among members of the minority party as as you mentioned which includes the state's executive uh and this came i think colin you were down there on monday uh with the governor and the speaker and the senate president and uh even in the face of criticism from Moody's credit rating agency. Yeah, that's right. Moody's, since we uh, since we last podcasted, uh, came out and said that states like Massachusetts, that uh, where the legislature still has not finalized a budget for the fiscal year that started July one, uh, show signs of governance weakness. Uh, but like you said, Sam Monday uh, asked for their reaction to to that assessment that. There is weakness in the governance here in Massachusetts. Uh, Governor Charlie Baker and House Speaker Robert DeLeo more or less dismissed that criticism and said, we're doing just fine, thanks. And uh, just while we're while we're speaking of kind of Republicans in the budget, I'll note that our uh, our editor, Mike Norton, caught up a few days ago with the House Republican conferee, Todd Smola, who kind of reminded all of us that it's the 
the Republicans on this conference committee who, while they, you know, probably aren't signing off on line items and how much to invest where, um, they are the veterans of this of this six-member panel now, both uh, House and Senate chairs and vice chairs knew this session, so that kind of, there might be an adjustment period at play here, um, of course. Uh, Representative Michael Witz and Senator Rodrigues have led a conference committee together before. They're uh, they're the negotiators who brought you our uh, new Airbnb uh, tax and regulation law, the taxes of which took effect just last week. Right. So any of you looking for uh, August Beacon Hill time getaways, um, you'll have uh, that to look out for. Right. But um, they, they are also longtime Beacon Hill folks. Uh, Michael Witt's a former staffer for uh, former Speaker Sal DeMacy and uh, so forth. Sure. And um, Senator Rodrigues served in the House before the Senate and is certainly, while it's his first time chairing a conference committee, it's, it's by no means his first budget. Yeah. Um, so while we can't know for sure what's holding up these talks, uh, we do know what the talks are holding up in some cases. Uh, and eyes are turning, I think, next week to the University of Massachusetts, uh, which is looking ahead to tuition for next year uh, without knowing exactly how much they're getting or under what terms in the budget for next year. That's right. There's really the two separate paths for UMass uh, laid out in the House and Senate versions of the budget. Uh, the both of them funded UMass at about $558 million, which falls about $10 million shy, according to uh, UMass President Meehan, of what the school would need to freeze in-state undergraduate tuition now. So it, I guess if you're, if you're reading the tea leaves, if they go with the House language, um, there's a board of trustee meeting on Tuesday next week. And if they go with the House language, or if the assumption is that the House language will prevail, un- we don't know. We, we're not going to see the budget by then, probably, but it certainly won't be law by that point. But if they go with the House's approach, the the number Mian has suggested is a 2.5% tuition increase. Now, the Senate's budget, despite not having a freeze guaranteeing appropriation level, has freeze language in it along with some other funding restrictions and restraints that uh, Mian and UMass officials have said would result in in $22. million of cuts across the four undergraduate campuses. So one thing we are watching for, and it'll be really interesting to see, is what direction the, the trustees will go in, because that affects lots of Massachusetts residents, and it's a, a you know major state employer and s- state appropriation. Sure. And Katie, you mentioned uh, a little bit ago uh, how we're stacking up to past years. I know you've, you've really been digging into this with a, an Excel spreadsheet and everything. H- how are we uh, really stacking up? What are some of the longest uh, uh, conference processes that we've seen? So the, the latest budget we've seen in, in recent years, um, in the past 10 or so years, was, of course, last year. Um, and while we're, we're still ahead of that on the calendar, <laughs> that, um, that one was signed into law on July 26th, um, so we're not quite in the red zone there yet, but we are actually over the weekend will eclipse the amount of time the budget spent in conference last year. Uh, that was 44 days in conference committee from when it was sent to conference to when it was reported out. 
And uh, as of today, the budget has been before a conference committee for 43 days. And uh, I'll, sh- I'll note that as we're recording, the Senate is uh, yet to meet. They have a Friday afternoon session, but the House has adjourned till Monday, so it doesn't look like we're uh, expecting something today. And the House only met for about two minutes today, right? Yeah, about two minutes. Uh, about two minutes right on the dot. And I spoke to Rep. Paul Donato, the, the House's uh, second assistant majority leader after, and he made it pretty clear that the negotiators are going to be meeting over the weekend. So it's going to be, at the very least, another few days before we even have a, a deal announced to the other members. The last time the uh, full fiscal year budget was signed into law before the fiscal year started, uh, Katie dug through all of this, and that was June 30th, 2010. So I went and looked back at what was going on in 2010. Yeah. First of all, our U.S. senators were John Kerry and Scott Brown. Whoa. So, yep, give some context. Uh, Anyone want to venture a guess the number one song on that day, June 30th, 2010? The last time we had an on-time budget? 2010. No. What was I listening to in 2010? I don't think that was the number one song. Oh, no. <laughs> Probably not. But <laughs> the number one song at that time, California Girls by Katy Perry featuring Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah. Song in the summer 2010 for sure. <laughs> number one movie at the time. I didn't see this one, but uh, Twilight Saga Eclipse. No? That's one of the werewolf ones. I think so. Yeah, yeah vampires, vampires too. Yeah. Vampires, yeah. Uh, the number one <laughs> book. Or, or top-selling book on that day it was written by Glenn Beck, a blast from the past. Uh, in the Red Sox lineup at the time, Dice K. Matsuzaka uh, started that game June 30th, 2010. Sox lineup featured Marco Scudero, Adrian Beltre, and Darnell McDonald, the magic man that, uh, that season. And the, the last on-time budget was three Patriots Super Bowl victories ago. Two Red Sox World Series victories ago, and one Boston Bruins Stanley Cup victory ago. Wow! Well, now you're just bragging on behalf of all of New England. <laughs> Guilty. That's that's what we do here, Chris. Well, thanks for the context, Colin. And uh, at that time, Speaker Robert DeLeo had been Speaker for what about one year at the helm of the Massachusetts House? Uh, yeah, just I think just more than a year. Yeah. Darnell McDonald in the minor leagues raced a horse. <laughs> what? Yes. Yes. They had, like, before a game, they brought him and a horse out there, and they let them... Uh, the horse won, of course. I mean, <laughs> it's a, horse, it's a yeah. horse, but the fact that someone was like, this guy should race a horse. It's a hell of a horse race. <laughs> <laughs> well, while those six lucky lawmakers continue to cloister themselves away in, in these conference talks, uh, some of the rest of life does go on on, on Beacon Hill. Uh, for one thing, we're still looking forward to uh, perhaps some sort of an education funding overhaul bill coming out in, in, in the near future, perhaps. Um, and uh, we're also looking ahead toward uh, a plan for transportation funding in Massachusetts. And uh, Colin, I know that you caught up with a couple a key chairman this week, but this is sort of looking ahead toward the fall, right? When uh, some major package might emerge in the House. Yeah, you might remember when the House debated its budget back in April. Uh, at the very beginning of that debate, uh, Revenue Committee Chairman Mark Cusack got up and basically asked his colleagues, do not offer revenue amendments. We're not going to have a revenue debate now during the budget. Uh, the time will come for those, and, and that time will be later this year. Uh, and, in, in fact, this week, uh, CUSAC, Transportation Committee Chairman Bill Strauss, and Speaker DeLeo met for about two hours to start uh, sketching out what this broad 
a transportation financing plan might look like. Uh, Strauss said that this is certainly something the House wants to bring to a vote this calendar year. Uh, so we've mentioned this August recess. You could probably expect this would be something to uh, uh, bubble back to the surface in October, November. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, the last time that the House undertook a, a major transportation financing package was 2013, right? And that, uh, as as we read in your coverage this week, um, reminded us started to fall apart rather quickly after its passage. Yeah, exactly. That included a, a gas tax increase, among other uh, provisions, and um, one of them was indexing the gas tax or, or, or tying the gas tax to inflation. Uh, and that was, of course, repealed uh, at the ballot by voters. Uh, so that never really got going the way that lawmakers uh, wanted it to when they put it into place. And uh, Strauss said this week that uh, this conversation isn't an acknowledgement that the 2013 law was insufficient, but rather it's, it's an acknowledgement that transportation needs always exist and that there's never a bad time to be talking about uh, how you can pay for, for improvements to your transportation system. And I should say that DeLeo has said that basically anything is on the table uh, this time around. He's said he's open to uh, tax increases. He's open to uh, higher user fees on things like Ubers and Lyfts. Uh, but the House hasn't gotten to the point yet of narrowing those options down. They're still at the, the phase of, of um, looking at that entire universe of options before them. Uh, and the business community, I should say, is doing the same thing. Business groups, chambers of commerce uh, around the state have gotten together, and, and they're holding their own meetings to um, reach a consensus on what the business community could support uh, so that they can try to influence whatever the legislature does. And you caught up with uh, Jim Rooney, the head of the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce. He's actually been working with the Senate recently in their um, tax working group. Uh, But what what did he have to think about this? Well, what was interesting for my conversation with Jim Rooney was I really got a sense of the the different tracks that this is happening on. Uh, the administration is part of these conversations as well. Rooney described uh, the Baker administration in, in this process as being deliberate. Uh, he said the Senate uh, also agrees that something needs to be done, but the Senate is taking what he called a collaborative approach. Uh, and he said that DeLeo and the House are taking the most bold approach of the three. Uh But for business groups, that means that they have to work with all three of these, the House, the Senate, and the administration. uh, And each of those three entities have their own timelines for this. Uh, So Rooney said he expects that both the House and the Senate will take up some kind of transportation package uh, between this October and next March. Well, speaking of transportation, when the red line's down, you might hop in an Uber. And uh, Chris, it's been uh, three years this summer since Charlie Baker signed the law regulating ride-hailing apps. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. I think August of 2016. Um, Not quite as far a time travel as back to 2010. Well, right. Yeah. (laughs) We needn't go through the starting lineup for for 2016. Sorry, I don't have that handy. (laughs) But uh, it it has been about three years, um, this law regulating ride-hailing apps like Uber and Lyft in Massachusetts. Uh, And now the governor is out with uh, a new proposal to add some additional regulation there. Uh, Not raising fees or anything like that at at this point, uh, which some folks have indicated support for. 
But, uh, Chris, this would involve new criminal offenses, new collection of data. Uh, why now? What, what's the impetus for uh, the governor to be proposing this right now? I think it's kind of twofold, and you have to take each half of the bill and look at its own uh, circumstances. The first part is imposing new regulations really aimed at rider safety. Um, you know, we've all seen scores of concerning headlines of, um, you know, passengers being subject to assault or, or harassment, or in some cases, um, I don't know if you guys recall the Globe story from a few months ago, having, you know, Uber or Lyft drivers show up at passengers' homes days later wanting to talk to them or ask them out on dates or um, other all sorts of unsettling things. You know, Baker pointed to, to scores of headlines uh, across the country around this and says that he really wants to ensure that state law holds that when you are using one of these services, you are getting a, a business transportation service, nothing more and nothing less. So it's, it's you know, as these continue to become a more common part of everyday life, I think the effort here is really to ensure that regulations are keeping up with all of the, the different ways that these might be abused or might expose people. So that's probably the one of the biggest components of it is making it an actual unique criminal violation in state code. That could uh, carry a pretty hefty penalty in some cases. Right, could carry a hefty penalty if you're a driver for one of these services to harass, stalk, or, uh, or defraud any passengers using the information you get from the app. Some other things that, that this bill aims to regulate are um, actions like drivers, quote-unquote, renting out their accounts to others. So basically, to, to drive for one of these services in Massachusetts, you do have to go through an application process. You have to go through a pretty lengthy background check to get uh, approval and certification to, to you know be a uh, provider on one of the services. And what Baker and, and some other public safety officials have said is they've noticed quite a few cases of drivers um, allowing other people to drive on their account under their name in their vehicles basically pretending to be someone they're not so uh, a, a new penalty uh, could carry up to two and a half years in prison for for doing that um, under this legislation and as far as the data that would be collected under this uh, proposed law um, Baker and Lieutenant Governor Polito stressed that uh, a lot of this stuff which would be anonymous data uh, would be of great use to the local municipalities Right. That's the other half of this is, is data collection. Um, under the current law, the 2016 law, we've had two annual reports now tracking where uh, everybody gets picked up and where everybody gets dropped off. You know, how many rides on these services there are each year, starting point and ending point. What this, this legislation would do is make that even more specific and go start time, end time to within a minute, exact pickup and drop off location to within 100 yards or so rather than just city of Boston, town of Westford, Sam. Um. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. And so, so what the administration says is that this really, really detailed information will help local municipalities all across the state decide how best to deal with what these vehicles are doing to our roadways. I'm sure that all of us around the metro area have had frustrations of, you know, a ride-hailing vehicle taking up an entire lane of traffic to wait for someone to stumble out of a bar, any kind of story you could think of like that. So what they say is, if we know that ridership is at its highest at 10 p.m. in this specific area, um, you know, municipal leaders can designate a pickup and drop-off spot, or we can focus on creating um, specific lanes for these vehicles to use, things like that. Um, it's very much this, the thinking is very much um, improving what we know before deciding on any action. 
All right. Well, thanks, Chris. And and we're just about out of time here because, uh, Chris, you've got to get back upstairs to finish writing a story about Department of Environmental Protection and the Weymouth Compressor, which uh, who, whose air quality permit has been upheld by the commissioner. There you have it. Read all about it in Statehouse News coming up. Uh, all right, folks, have a great weekend. Uh, Colin, I'm actually back out to Worcester this weekend. Got a wedding out there in the heart of the Commonwealth. Oh, you're a lucky man, Sam. I know. I'll be invading uh, your territory in the North End. Really? Yeah, going to grab some dinner there tonight. Nice. You have a place picked out? Uh, not quite yet. Yeah, a lot of those places, the portions are so big, you get a little takeout to take home with you. Ooh, that sounds like a good idea. There Always love go. some takeout. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.